0: Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People, I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that serves as a sexual health communication resource using the experiences of people who have had to navigate STI stigma from herpes diagnosis to other STIs as a way of taking the skills that they learned to communicate their diagnoses to potential partners. Um, And what we wanna do is we wanna integrate those experiences into sex education resources that aid STD prevention efforts. This concept is called STI minimization and it is very intentional and inclusive to these experiences of people who've had to navigate an STI diagnosis because of just the fact that um, they have gone on to learn things that they felt or we have felt to be critical and honestly necessary in our sex education resources um, because they also teach us how to navigate relationships, healthy boundaries, how to seek support in the event that a boundary has been violated. We can identify um healthy and ethical behavior in potential relationships and therefore, um, being able to set, uphold, and create boundaries for ourselves. Um, these are very critical relationship management skills that serve to minimize the possibility of relationships that also may lead to an SCI. So, um, this is my first recording since the month of May. It's July 3rd right now. And I have a guest. <laughs> and um, I'm excited about this. Um, I'm excited, you know, not necessarily about your situation, but I'm very excited to um, have you here so young, so newly diagnosed, and yet so willing to share your own experience. And you mentioned this to me before, that this was fresh to you. So I want to give you the disclaimer that if there's any parts of the conversation that you don't like, or if there's anything you don't want to answer, you are free to decline answering um, whatever questions um, that I may ask. So all of that said and out of the way, Here's what I know about you. You're 21 years old. I won't say your name unless there's a reason, but typically when I do these, I don't have a reason to, but, um, I got that you're 21. I know that you were diagnosed like five, six days ago. Um, you reached out to me through the website. Let me just start there. You know, I guess what made you reach out to me?
1: So, um, initially when, uh, I found out, uh, I got the call that I went in for, um, like, uh, if the doctor had called me in to like look at my diet, like all my lab results, um, yeah, I think I was on the stage of shock, and um, and then I called my primary health person, and um, but his office was busy, so I I could only meet with the the nurse practitioner. She was super helpful. Uh, I got a, a bunch of lab uh, tests done. Um, at my viral load cd4 account all that stuff and um yeah um so when i came home after all that and i was waiting for like my appointment for my infectious disease doctor uh i didn't really know what to do so i did what i guess most people probably do that's went on, on the internet selected up a bunch of stuff I kept seeing stuff about surrounding yourself with you know create a safe space um actually the first thing I did, I guess, was I went on uh, Grindr, and because I'm bisexual, and I went on Grindr, and I was looking for other positive people, and I I was asking for their stories, you know, I just wanted to hear from them, and it helped me, I guess, to know that, you know, I wasn't alone, which I knew I wasn't, but it just comforted me to hear that. Um, And then, because it was weird, because I was diagnosed with HIV and um, herpes, so... I was kind of, like, going back and forth between HIV resources and then herpes resources. Um, I found cool people on both sides, and once I started exploring the herpes stuff, I found there was a lot more, at least from my experience, what I've seen, theres a lot more stuff for, like, HIV, but the people that I found for herpes were a lot more comforting, I guess, like, it felt more homely, like, on the... I guess the herpes side, I, I, don't know, I don't know what to call it. Uh, like, I feel like I enjoyed the advocates, I guess, like, like you and other people that I found more. Um, you guys talk a lot. I feel like HIV, I feel like it's so, I want to say well-known, but it's like, I don't know how to word this, but it's like, it seems like people don't necessarily talk about it because I feel like everybody already... Honestly,
0: they already know, but, you know, it's like, I don't know. I feel like there's not, I don't know. Well, but, yeah. Well, what I think I'm hearing here is with herpes, there's so much more like um, personalization than there is HIV because there's so much professionalism around it. Um, When we look at the resources that are available, one of the challenges that I've seen with trying to find funding for the communities that I've served, uh, I can't do much for people who are living with HIV because the resources that exist, there are housing resources, there are programs for food, there's programs for health insurance, medical, dental. um, There are also of course the medication treatment and resources for uh, caseworkers like you get all of this types of support and there is so much money in the HIV world and I think that that's just as a result of the peak uh, danger that it presented at the point of when it was uh, the it was an epidemic it was considered an epidemic and the reason for that amount of support that came from it was because, okay, with herpes, you know, people can be more quiet about it. You know, you have an outbreak, it's there, it's embarrassing, it's a little painful, whatever. But with HIV, if you don't get this treated, this was something that could have killed you at one point in time. So people who were diagnosed, you know, on top of the stigma of it being a gay disease, right? Uh, People, loved ones were trusted enough to be told by the person who had HIV because they had to say something to somebody. So there was all this advocacy, there was all this support, there was all this fundraising because of the sense of urgency that HIV, that having HIV created Um, and the stigma, any internalized stigma that had to, or that would keep a person from saying anything had to go out the window if people wanted to be alive. So it was, do I want to be stigmatized or do I want to be alive? Right? So, or am I going to self-stigmatize in a state of silence or do I want to be alive? And that was pretty much a no-brainer, I think, that led to the advocacy and the uh, fundraising and the money that was thrown into the HIV sector. The difference between that and herpes is, yeah, you see people who, you know, I I tell people all the time, like, I think that I jumped into this as a coping mechanism from avoidance of rejection. If I tell everybody, nobody can find out, and it just so happened to work out for me in the form of an entire nonprofit organization, um, all because I was afraid of of rejection. Right. So I think that anyone who's doing their advocacy, they have their reasons for it consciously. And then there may be some sort of a trauma response from it as well. But it's more of a, oh, my God, like nobody cares. Uh, there's nothing out there and maybe my story can help someone because there are no organizations uh, That are supporting people who have herpes and people don't really know what our experiences and stories are because of that uh, They're not being that urgency of do I want to self stigmatize myself into silence or do I want to live? Like we don't have that there are mental health impacts negatively um, One of the surveys that I've done showed that 33 percent of people do diagnosed with herpes experienced suicide ideation, meaning that they had at some point after their herpes diagnosis thought about ending their own lives. So there are mental health impacts, but if there's no reason for people to talk about it, and I know that something positive for positive people gives people an avenue to be able to share their experiences in a way that doesn't out themselves and that allows for them to feel comfortable with sharing their experiences for the sake of helping others. I'm actually getting
1: a call from my doctor. Do you mind if I take
0: this? Oh, you are? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll Dad, pause this, Yeah, get your call. Actually, you know what? I guess this is a really good point to uh, go ahead and mention that something positive for positive people does have podcast sponsors. Well, one, uh, we got Shameless Care. And uh, if you visit, the website link in the show notes, what you'll see is that you have options for at-home STI testing kits, as well as ED medication. So this is something that was recently added for Something Positive for Positive People. Listeners, if you are someone who may be facing the challenge of erectile dysfunction, just due to being in your head, I know that with the herpes diagnosis, uh, for a lot of people um, who might have issues with engorgement, Oh, you see how inclusive that was (laughs) to the uh, genital area. Uh, I don't know that Viagra works on vulvas. This might be something that I can ask about or that I probably should already know. But um, if you're someone who might be going to a play party, if you're someone who... Um, may struggle with uh, you know, feeling confident and you might feel a little bit insecure. This might be something that helps you out and there's other reasons that people may take ED medication as well so um, if you are someone who is curious about or interested in it, you can go to shamelesscare.com SPFPP and be sure to use that code at checkout so that we can get credit for the sale same thing goes for at home STI testing kits that they offer as well So coming back to um, the main difference between the HIV and herpes resources are that it, I hate to say it like this, but a lot of people who do have herpes don't have enough of a reason to care to get involved with any advocacy efforts. um, Whereas with HIV, there was the reason for it. Uh, So my question for you at this point is uh, the difference between the resources, the HIV resources you found, and then the people speaking openly about herpes? You said that you felt essentially more connected to the people speaking openly about herpes. Is, is that kind of accurate? Yeah. It's
1: like, whenever i like, I guess, um, looking for like to connect with people, I connect like, looking for like, I guess, stories and people sharing about their HIV, it kind of like, it seemed more, I wanna say short term, cause I guess it is, uh, at least from what I've like, studied, not studied, like, seen, it's like, pretty much all the way really here, at least from what I've seen is like, take your pills and you're fine. But with herpes, they, they talk more about like, one treatment, but like also like, they talk more about the mental, care, the mental care, I guess, and like, taking care of your body and trying not to stress yourselves, no, really, um, starting to like just care more about your health, and that motivate me a lot more. Um, then I guess you know, take your meds, you'll be fine. And obviously, I guess I could have been on the wrong side, but that's just you know my experience, I guess.
0: Okay, and uh, would you say that that was useful? Because you mentioned to me that you just told your mom, um, yeah. and you have got a couple of different like compounding. I don't want to call them, you know, traumas or marginalizations, but for lack of better words, I think that those are the best fits between being a black man. You mentioned being bisexual. Now you mentioned having uh, now you have herpes and HIV. And now you also just told your mom. So can you walk me through a little bit about how disclosing this to your mom went? So I was talking about
1: something like the 28th and of June. that's when I got the call. Of June. Yeah, June 28th, yeah. That so was, like, a week ago, almost. And, um, I wanted to, I wish she knew initially, but, like, it was just hard to tell, because it wasn't about rejection, it was more of, like, I knew she loves me, and she'll support me, it's more like, I hate to talk like this, because, like, I don't want like, paint it like a bad thing, but, you know, it is, I guess, bad news, but Everything was going so good, I guess, and I didn't want to like ruin that for everybody in, that, in my house. And like, because like she seems so happy, everybody seems so happy, and um, yeah, that was my main fear, I guess, of ruining that. But that didn't happen, and I feel like, like a million times better now knowing that I have her supporting me. And yeah, I actually feel happy now, which
0: Kind of weird to say. So, uh. No, I mean, I I, I hear you, man. Um, I didn't tell my dad for a few years, and I remember his reaction just, he was very, like, sad. He was like, why didn't you feel like you could tell me this sooner? That's how she that's how she
1: was,
0: too. Mm, okay. Um, now, did you have to disclose anything like this, and I mean like this, to your mom before? Like, any hard thing or anything that you might yeah, be scared so, to tell her? So, um, this is my
1: first running with stis i've had her i think i've gone to like my doctor and or urgent care for chlamydia like i think i've gone three times i think i've to actually tested positive twice um and i think she was there she was there for all three i believe yeah and um well besides this most recent one
0: mm-hmm. but
1: um so it's like and she's and it also hurt more the waiting to tell her just because She's always told me to be careful and so I kind of felt like I let her down but yeah she reminded me that you know that that's not the case and okay thanks
0: nice. now with the be careful thing I'm always cautious about navigating that discussion because this isn't something that you can necessarily be careful about yeah. uh, do you have an idea of you know what being careful quote means like barrier use or because more people are getting HIV from needle injections now than from sexual partners. Uh, I've recently learned through some conversations that I've had with healthcare professionals. Um, so do you know if you were exposed by sexual contact or if it was, uh, injected drug use or needles, tattoos, anything like that?
1: You know, it was sexu- uh, sexually transmitted. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure who. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I guess kind of sucks to say,
0: but. Um, hey, listen. Ain't no judgment here. Is whatever's real. Whatever's real for you, yeah. you say it. Unless you don't want to, and you can tell me you don't want to.
1: Yeah. So, they said that. Obviously, this didn't happen like yesterday, so. It's like a long span of, time and. And um. What was I gonna say? It's pretty much like. What was your question again? I don't wanna off Yeah. yeah.
0: No, my question was just basically um. I guess, like, do you know how you got it? Like, if it was sexually transmitted? Oh, yeah. Okay. And then, I guess, you said you don't know who. You said it might have been present for a long time.
1: Yeah, so... Because I I was reading that, like, herpes doesn't uh, really show up in the blood test until, like... I don't remember the exact number, like, a few weeks until after uh, initial contact. So it wasn't anything recent. So it made me think a lot more, because... That narrows it down because I don't really, because I I am, uh, well, I guess I could have been more careful, but uh, I consider myself careful, at least to the best of my knowledge. Uh, um, So pretty much, like, I think my my biggest issue, at least, you know, just reflecting on myself is I would try not to have sex with many partners, but in doing so, it'll, like, build up and then I get, like, really, you know pent
0: up and then i'd make a bad decision no like, don't no, we're not calling decisions bad <laughs> yeah, sorry. all right so okay, sorry. yeah yeah we can stop that now um so and, and here's what i'm hearing and you can feel free to correct me if i'm wrong but i can still hear you one second okay what i'm hearing here is um uh, that because I, I i have an idea what you mean like you might not have sex for a while and then, you know, when it's time to have sex you want to have sex. And in your case it might have been with many partners at those in those times? Is it many partners or many instances of having sex?
1: It's more of like so like, let's say like before, I guess it, it's super pent up, I would like carefully pick, I guess, at least by my standards, I would like, you know, yeah. actually try to get to know them. But when it, it gets pent up, I'm more like, you know, just kind of, I guess for lack of a better word, it's just anything I can find. Okay. Not literally, but you know, just, I'm a lot less careful, you know? Yeah. And I just, so, uh, that, that, yeah. not,
0: So let's not call it careful either. Like, we can just say, yeah, I I, all right, yeah, listen. <laughs> You, you might have had different standards and expectations. We can say that the way that you went about finding partners changed. Like, there's all these different reframes for it. But yeah. don't further stigmatize yourself by saying things like, oh, you know, I could have been careful. I shouldn't have been with this person. Unless there's people that you just know you shouldn't have been with. And that's a completely different story. But uh, one thing that I'm figuring out is just that we don't know how to communicate. About our sexual health. So my next question for you is: Have you uh, historically had conversations about SCIs with partners prior to hooking up?
1: No, I don't think I've ever actually talked to a partner like about, you know, like, like I mean, the the topic in general, really.
0: Okay. Um, were there any negotiations for barrier use? Yeah, that happens. I guess almost every time Mm and
1: I don't know like there were a lot like a lot of times I would say like like they would ask do I use a condom and I would say no
0: Mm -hmm. oh so that's so interesting so um, are these instances more so with men or with women
1: I guess it depends on how comfortable I feel with them Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's not much of a difference with either okay um, I think I do use kind of more with women just because, the, the, uh, you know, the additional fear of, you know, getting one pregnant.
0: That's what I was going to ask you, because I remember when I first started being sexually active, the fear that was instilled in me was getting somebody pregnant more than it was getting STIs, because the way that I was taught in school, and I'm 13 years older than you, so this might be completely different now, was uh, if... A woman that I was having sex with had an SCI I would be able to smell it I would be able to see it or it would be too painful for her to even want to have sex so sex just wouldn't happen so we would default to the conversation of condoms. If there was even a conversation at all about condoms, because I didn't want any kids and my mother put the fear of God in me to not get nobody pregnant. She's like, You bring some you bring a baby in here, you getting out of here. That and white girls. And so <laughs> those were the two things that my mom, you know, scared me about. But fast forward, man, and looking back on it, I never had conversations about sex in relation to STIs and I don't know what it was, but I see that I just wasn't taught how to communicate about that. It never seemed important. The default to reducing the, or STD prevention was wear a condom. And that doesn't apply to all situations or all people. And if you are having sex with a man and the fear of pregnancy is removed, then what does that leave you with? A fear of SCIs. Now, if what we learned about SCIs are that, you know, it's gonna be painful, there might be a foul odor discharge, or you would see symptoms, then that person's not gonna to wanna to have sex. So we're kind of in a place where our system as it is for STD prevention Is teaching us that, you know, it's okay. Essentially, teaching us that if you're not being shamed for having sex without barriers, then like, there is nothing. There are no obstacles. All right, if you have a man who has sex with man, you don't have to worry about pregnancy, HIV. Now we can treat it, manage it, undetectable. Uh, You might get an STI, but most STIs are treatable, manageable, curable. Right. But there is nothing that says, hey, here is how you initiate a conversation with your sexual partner about STIs. Because that conversation will, in some people's cases, kill the mood. But more often than not, what it's going to do is invite the other person into a space that they may not really care to be in which is this emotionally vulnerable state of having to think more bigger picture and this is something that i learned after my diagnosis with having to uh disclose having herpes to sexual partners is that now they have to take into consideration that they might get herpes from me now with hiv it's just a matter of you know once you find your regimen because i believe that being newly diagnosed you have to figure out which medication combo works well for you to get your viral load undetectable HIV becomes less of a barrier uh, to sexual partners now yes there are gonna be people who are still afraid of it like we're not gonna just completely rule that out but for herpes that's not that's something that you can't completely prevent yourself from passing on to another partner so this the communication component uh, is going to be more on the herpes side of it than it is hiv but it seems like you being on grinder and you said you were able to meet people to talk to you know about these different things it seems like well, i didn't
1: meet them i just i was just texting them on the site and stuff
0: yeah yeah well i'm sorry being able to ask questions and yeah. message people on grinder it sounds like people are pretty receptive to this kind of conversation is that accurate yeah i
1: only have like one or two people that they didn't react negatively they just didn't respond or they just you know Mm -hmm. i think one person just said um i don't want to talk i guess so but other than that everyone else has been really helpful they they've been encouraging they've been i guess supportive okay and Uh, all of them just tell stories and stuff and uh you know
0: all right i got a, a question for you feel free not to answer this okay the question is you got your diagnosis within a week ago and you went to Grinder. Did you go to Grindr as a way of attempting to still feel a sense of connectedness to your sexuality? Did you still want to feel desired? Or were you there exclusively to find resources?
1: That was just like the fastest point of access to like other positive people. So mm-hmm. that's the first place I went. Okay. Because um, I didn't know where else to go. Uh, and then eventually found um, uh, pause Forums. Uh, that that was also a somewhat helpful uh, resource mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: for HIV diagnosed people. Um, that's really it, honestly, for like actually talking to other positive people.
0: Okay, so you weren't? Are, are you dating? No, not at the moment. Okay, okay, that was uh, what I was asking. Cause um oh sorry okay yeah yeah yeah. Cause I've seen people. You know, revert to, oh, my God, I'm never going to find anyone now. My life is over. I'm going to get on this dating site and I'm going to find the love of my life and we're going to marry each other and live happily ever after. So I'm very happy to hear that. That's not what you're doing, because I do believe that on the other side of. A herpes diagnosis for sure, and from people that I've spoken to who are living happy, healthy, active, sexually sex lives past uh, their HIV diagnosis, you know, I know that there is so much more sexual life to live after testing positive, so it's really cool to see that someone so young at 21 is taking these mature steps to educate themselves and be in a better place, you know, Mentally and more uh, secure in their identity to be able to move forward. So, um, I've got some more like non herpes HIV questions for you, just about like how you are navigating the world. Aside from that, like being a bisexual black man, um, like, has it, have you had to be on a down low or what, what, talk to me about identifying that you were bisexual. Let's start there.
1: So, for a while, I always knew that. I like both men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, I will not consider myself on the down low. I just... I don't know. I don't really talk about my sexuality in general. Um, I feel like if anybody uh, really asked, I'd I'd tell them. Yeah. But, um... And it's never really been important for me to talk about, I guess. Because I feel like I just like what I like, you know? Yeah. like that's how everybody should feel about it, but... Yeah. That's not the case.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And... I, asked, I want to ask this too, so is your bisexuality something that it, it doesn't feel like a major part of your identity? And I'm wondering if there's a connectedness between that not being a major part of your identity as well as your sexuality not being so much of a part of your identity uh, because it doesn't seem like your diagnosis is super negatively affecting you. Does how I'm asking that make sense?
1: I think so. So, are you asking, like, the fear of not having sex is
0: affecting me? No. Okay, let me ask that completely different. Okay, sorry. Uh, I see that there are people who attach their identities to their sexuality, uh, to being, you know, like the, the expressions of rainbows, like Pride Month was in June, yeah. and you would see, I'm so proud to be dot dot dot, and so many of those expressions, and there's a lot of expression of one's identity through the avenue of their sexuality, with people living with herpes, um, they feel like their identity is now it's the damaged, they're dirty, diseased, disgusting, and then that becomes a part of their identity. So my question to you to ask this in a much more concise way is uh, how have you been able to not let your diagnosis or you know your identity as a bisexual man, given those two examples that I gave, how have you been able to not let those two things influence who you are your identity because what i'm sensing from you now is like a strong sense of self you needed that little bit of assurance uh, or that uh, assurance from your mom after you disclosed to her was helpful to you but uh you would have been okay either way so i guess i'm trying to identify what in you as a 21 year old is so different than some of the 25, 30, 35, 40-plus-year-old people that I talk to who really struggle with their sense of self after their diagnosis?
1: I think it really comes from sexuality never really being a big part of uh, my identity, I guess, ever. Like, I never really... I guess maybe it's just, like, I guess how I was brought up, like, my friend group and family and all that. Like, uh... No, I talk about sex with, I guess, among friends. Like, I joke about it, stuff like that. But, um... <laughs> it's like... I don't really care, I guess. It's like, you know, I like what I like, and... I don't I don't know. It's like, if people want to judge me, I mean, that's them, I guess. I, I don't really care about it, really. This is...
0: So, this is so interesting to me, because... I wonder what it is that's just like... It, it sounds like you just know... Who you are when you say I know what I like I know I know what I want I know what I like that self certainty to me is so much more mature it's so much more uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It's a mature thing. It's a very grounding thing to have, that kind of maturity to be able to say, all right, you know, I know what I know. I know this about myself. I like what I like, you know, and it is what it is. Nothing's going to move me from that. And that consistency, that that self-certainty is something that I believe everybody can learn from. Listening to this podcast episode, and it sounds like you have a pretty solid friend group to be able to talk about sex, but not make sex your identity. To be bisexual, but not make your preferences be interconnected with your identity. So this is like really, you know, giving me hope for these upcoming generations of people who are going to be navigating this world from a sexual sense to come into their sexuality and their sexual encounters knowing who they are what they like and uh, being able to then communicate that to their partners yeah thank you Uh... Yeah, it's one of those things like you don't know what to say to it but uh, it was just an observation definitely an observation Uh, so, biggest challenge for you at this point, you know, it's a weekend, like, what do the next steps for you look like uh, since your diagnosis? You said your doctor called you a little bit earlier to confirm your appointment. Uh, what are the next steps for you from here? Oh, one second, my
1: dog's barking. There. Okay. One second. All right,
0: so, um, what's the question again? Oh, yeah. So, um, I, w- I was asking what the next steps are for you. Um, after having talked to your doctor and confirmed your appointment, like, what do you go from here?
1: Um, so pretty much. Um, sorry about the ice cream I
0: heard. That. I was like, "Dad, that brings back memories." I'm surprised you ain't um, positive right outside. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: so I got to go uh, on the fifth to see. Um, uh, first I got to see my initial uh, nurse practitioner. For, uh I think additional tests and then I'm gonna go back to or I'm gonna go to see my uh, infectious disease and then they'll go over like pretty much all my di- not diagnosis but my results to like I guess see what what the next steps are in terms of treatment medication all that
0: uh-huh.
1: um I don't know too much after that I guess if everything's okay or not okay they'll make decisions then yeah and then I guess we'll handle it as the information comes. I guess.
0: I missed a very important question. What made you get tested? Did you have any symptoms at all?
1: Yeah. So I, I initially I was having um pain, for urination, and uh, discharge, and so I thought it was you know, I was hoping at least it was uh, just gonorrhea or because you know I I know that's you know temporary, mm-hmm. but um after getting tested, I went to the urgent care, I came back negative and you know, normally I'd be happy, but, you know, I still felt weird, so I was like, oh, no, this might be something worse, and so I got tested, and this test took a while to come back, and that made me even more nervous, so I was like, there's probably something wrong, um, and then, yeah, I, then I got the call, and, you know, the rest is, yeah.
0: Okay. <sighs> Hey, <laughs> was your dog's name? She been back there just, just being cute, just being cute. <laughs> um, she
1: wants to touch right out, I think.
0: No, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so, I went and got tested myself today. Um, and I go to an HIV. Uh, it's a nonprofit called Vivant Health, and they serve people living with HIV. They offer all these different resources, and that's how I'm so versed in like getting free condoms, understanding where to get free testing from. Uh, I asked her today, the lady who gave me my STI test today, and you know I asked her, you know, what are some things to take into consideration when. Providing support to someone newly diagnosed with HIV and we had a little bit of conversation around that and she also offered a resource and I I can tell you about this more in detail because I don't want to give away like where you are, but um, there's an organization where you told me you are or where you told me you're close to and I can tell you about that, but I find that these resources that specialize in STIs, HIV prevention, These people have a much more, the way that you described your experience with looking for herpes resources is how I feel about these organizations that serve people with HIV when you're there and it was very personalized. It was very, like the lady and our friends, we go get lunch <laughs> periodically. Like this is my, I told her, I was like, hey, you my primary care provider now. I'm gonna see you every six months, every three to six months. And that's, this is just a relationship now. Um, but what I wanna say is uh, it, it's, if you've not been offered any, cause you said urgent care and your primary, I would like to encourage you to check into one of these uh, HIV-specific resources uh, simply because of the way that they communicate. They're, um, They're run by and staffed by people who have experience working within the community and I think that that's really important as well, like more of a social work setting than a clinical setting. And the reason I say that is because earlier you mentioned that looking at HIV resources, it was very get on medication, just take your regimen, you're good. Rather than the, oh, well, hey, I understand how you feel. You know, I have friends or here are some scenarios that you might have run into. And you can talk about sex with these people as well um, and have those kinds of resources and communication resources. So I'll link to some of these resources in the show notes and I'll tell you what I was told today uh, once we get done with the recording. Uh, But, yeah, just wanted to offer that to you as well. Um. Being newly diagnosed and coming across all the resources that you have at this point, knowing what you know, are there any questions that you have specifically for me or anything that you might be looking for that you haven't found yet?
1: Um, yeah, so what'd you say, so do you see an infectious disease doctor?
0: I have not seen an infectious disease doctor specifically, no. Uh, I have tried to talk to infectious disease doctors because I've had a question that nobody can seem to answer, which is um, when I first got tested for herpes, I didn't test positive, but there was a presence of antibodies. My curiosity is, was it repeat exposure over time that would have made that viral load increase? Or would it have just been time that passed for the viral load to increase after minimal exposure because if that's the case then that there's an argument to be said there for testing because anyone who tests negative under that range it's like if it's under 1.0 antibodies then you're not considered positive a person might go get that test and then not test for five more years and then BAM fast forward ten years and their viral load is 21.4 And I use that number specifically because I found out that that was what my HSV-1 numbers were uh, after I had gotten tested recently at Planned Parenthood uh, for HSV-1. Uh, But yeah, as far as seeing a disease, uh, a disease, infectious disease specialist, no, um, I haven't. And I wonder, I would like for you to let me know how that conversation goes. Like what, I'm curious why, because it seems like you would just need to see a social worker more than anything else. And yeah, that, that, that kind of raised a little bit of a red flag to me.
1: I won't be seeing the infectious doctor this appointment, um, directly. I'll be seeing one of um, his nurse practitioners.
0: Okay. again. So. All right. And I want, maybe they're just going to get some information and probably do like some contact tracing to see if you can contact your most recent partners or something like that. I believe that that's what they would be doing. Cause I'm thinking disease intervention specialists more than I am infectious disease doctor. But since you're seeing a nurse practitioner, I think that that might be one of the steps uh, moving forward for you. Um, Anything you want to leave us with? Like, you know, let's say there's somebody who's, you know, 21, newly diagnosed. They got this, quote, double whammy themselves as well. Um, any words of wisdom that you might have for them at this point in your diagnosis that can support them? Um,
1: I guess for me, I'm like a more, I don't know what word it is, but like, I like looking at like, numbers and facts. So, for me, I wasn't really worried until like I was able to look at all my lab results, look up to certain levels of certain proteins and things that were in like the lab results, and until like I could look at those things and realize I'll be okay, that's when I started to feel okay. Um, and. I'm not sure if that'll help anybody, but I mean, that's what, I guess, helped me, just knowing that this, you know, this isn't news anybody wants, but you'll be okay in the long run, you know? Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah.
1: That, that made me feel a lot better, just
0: Okay. Yeah, man, knowledge is not only power, but there's a little bit of assurance that comes with that as well. Uh, I want to just really express my gratitude for you being here Uh, for you sharing your story, for you reaching out and being so willing to share your experience, especially having been newly diagnosed. Um, It makes me hopeful that you were able to find this resource, something positive so quickly. Um, I guess (laughs) my work's paying off because, yeah, I hear from people that are you know finding these kinds of things years after the fact and finding themselves in relationships that they wish they hadn't been in and situations that they, because of their feelings about themselves after their diagnosis, they just stumbled into and were just afraid to get out of them? So, um, yeah, I very much appreciate your willingness to be here. Thank you so much.
1: I do have one more thing to say. Um, oh, which I have? guess it won't be too useful for people already here because I guess they're here, but for me, um. I was like, well, I was looking for like herpes resources. I kept seeing your like um, something positive for positive people podcast. And initially, i like, eh, I don't really like podcasts, so I didn't, you know, I kept ignoring it. But as I kept seeing it, so I was like, I guess I'll check it out. Actually, I went to your Instagram first, and I liked your content, but I realized, oh wait, you're the something positive for positive people person. Oh my and then god. Then I checked it out, oh. and then I'm just loving it. So <laughs> yeah. I guess.
0: So that's probably one of my problems. You just exposed me. So a lot of people that I talk to on Instagram don't know I have a podcast. A lot of people through the podcast don't aren't aware of my social media content. I don't know, maybe this works for me too though, because if people consume information in different ways and they're finding everything all over the place, I guess that could help. But uh yeah, I, I it's hard to get some consistency too because the name is so long and I don't want to call it something positive for POS. You know what I mean? Like so there's a it lot makes of
1: but i just look up SPF every yeah. time so <sighs>
0: Yes, I'm glad people catching on to that. I've mean, I've gotten shit because with acronyms you don't usually include like two, four, and the in your acronyms. I
1: did think about that each time I typed
0: it in. So <laughs> it does it does help to remember, good, I guess. Oh, that's funny. Oh, uh, cool. Well, I'm glad, man. I'm really glad that you were able to find it. I'm glad that you found it useful, and I'm glad that we were able to make this happen. Um, you got my contact information, and we talked. Uh, did you end up connecting with the therapist that I uh, connected you with? Yeah. Perfect. I'm glad to hear that. And, uh, yeah. So I will, uh, close this out unless you have anything else that you want to add. Um, no. Okay, cool. Um, All right, well, that concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, and share this podcast. If you are someone who wants to support, get involved with the community, I'm always looking for podcast guests. I'm always looking for donors, funding opportunities. Um, You can also donate directly at www.spfpp.org in order to support our advocacy efforts to integrate you know, these experiences into sex education resources to aid STD prevention efforts and get our concept of STI minimization out there, um, as well as continue to provide and offer support to people who are navigating herpes stigma, as well as um, helping people with the communication component of disclosing their status and initiating conversations around their sexual health. Wow, I've not closed out one of these in so long. I forgot that I'll. I forgot how I close these out. I stopped saying until next time. Stay sex positive. Um, What do I want to say? Oh no! Damn. (laughs) Go check out the website. Uh, There might be an event that's happening. I know right now um, I'm in the process of connecting with more men. I want to do a focus group and get more uh, in-depth insight for men who are navigating herpes stigma if you have to ask a question what kind of men you probably don't need to be there i'm gonna just throw it out to you right now if you have any yeah if you got to do that i don't think you should be there so if you are a man with herpes show up to the meeting show up to the um events tab and once you're in the meeting we can flush it out if you don't like what you're seeing you are more than welcome to leave but uh yeah that's it look for that In the show notes, the Something Positive for Positive People survey for the year 2023 will be hopefully out soon. I don't know how soon, soon is, but please prepare yourself. I'm not going to be able to uh, promote this like I was the previous one because of IRB regulations. I can only say what they approved for me to say. And if I want to say anything different, there's going to be probably another six-month turnaround process before I can get that approved. And we'll be looking at a 2024-2025 survey. All right, y'all, thank you for listening, and please continue to support our efforts.